Hey, 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 how's it going, Gold Street Garden family? Thank you for joining us for another podcast episode. This is Pastor Dominic, and I just want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be able to pour into your lives to reveal Jesus in greater measure to you personally. There is nothing more exhilarating than the daily rediscovery of Jesus. And what a beautiful, beautiful moment we get to share when we share it looking at the Lamb of God. We just want to let you know that if you want more info on the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. You can follow us on all the main social media platforms to stay up to date on all of what's going on in our community. We love you all and we pray that you are impacted deeply and greatly by today's episode and teaching. We love you all. God bless. I really, God's got something so special for tonight. I just, I want you all to know that don't ever allow things to get familiar. Do you, I, I want us to understand that famil- familiarity will rob you of thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is the key to stay in the presence of God because we enter his gates. Psalm 104, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. So if you don't stay thankful, you don't stay engaged. You don't stay there. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to get ungrateful. He wants us to be unthankful. It is so dangerous to get to just get around that type of an atmosphere of being ungrateful, unthankful. So what I want to do tonight is we, we spoke last week about resurrections. Everybody believe that we serve a God of resurrection. It, you, you know, that is not a once a year sermon that Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus needs to rise from the grave in your heart every day. Every day you need to be acquainted with the resurrection power of God. It cannot be a one and done because if it's a one and done, then the enemy has victory 364 days of the year. It needs to be a daily understanding of what he's done in our lives. The cross and the resurrection have to be the framework of our conviction. But there's 10 documented resurrections in the Bible. Now, you could read between the lines and try to, but there's 10 documented resurrections in the Bible, and we went through those last week, and 10 is the number of, of government in the Bible, and the reason that is is because how many commandments did God give? 10. He gave 10 commandments because he was showing this is how I rule and govern, and he had 10 resurrections to showcase that he rules and reigns through the supremacy of resurrection power. That resurrection power is how he governs and how he operates in his authority. And we don't have anything to believe in if Christ didn't raise from the grave. Amen. Did you know that resurrection power is everything? So Christianity is supernatural by its roots. And what the enemy tries to do and what religion tries to do is it tries to make Christianity all just limited to what man can do and what morals, you know, you can keep and all this, but not really expecting that God tangibly wants to be involved with every detail of your life. Did you know prayer is supernatural? But how does the world treat prayer? Like, I'll keep you in my prayers. Or, you know, a lot of times when we go out and minister, you know, and we meet other, I'm using quotes, uh, so-called Christians, uh, when we'll meet Christians, they'll be like, hey, let's pray about what's going on. It's like, oh, I don't like to pray in public. 
or I don't like, you know what I'm saying? It's like people have a, a mindset of like prayer is just this private thing that it's not something that we come together as a body and do like, and we have to understand how supernatural prayer is, how supernatural our walk with the Lord is. And with that being said, we talked about Elisha last week, and this week I want to talk about the last documented resurrection in the Bible, which is in Acts chapter 20, and you can go there now, and I'll, I'll meet you there in a moment. But this in particular story is so profound with where we're at prophetically in just the course of this hour. How many people know we're living in the most crucial hour right now? Do you, I mean, you have to understand this. I keep telling people that the word that is in my heart more than anything is prepare. I keep hearing prepare. Even when we started Gold Street Garden, the word was prepare the bride. It was prepare the bride, but we're even at a place now where we have to understand that there is this persona out there that people think everything's just kind of going back to normal. It's a lie. I want you to understand it. it's a lie. And I had a conversation just the other night with, with Joe Turnbull, who just got back from Pakistan, ministering over in Pakistan. And he was saying, you know, it's illegal to share your faith and to be out there. And he said that the presence of God was so thick in the meetings that ever since he's got back to the States, like he can't shake that feeling he had when it was illegal for everyone to meet. And if anybody's in this room, who was with us when we had services when the world shut down? You know, there's some people here that were with us that when every other church shut down, we found ways to keep meeting. And the reason I bring that up is because there was, I, I will have to share with you all that there were moments, and I'm sure people in this room can testify, that the presence of God was so thick when the price to get together got higher. And the Lord put a quote in my heart during that season. He said, the greater the cost, the greater the manifestation. The greater the cost, the greater the manifestation. And where we get at in America is that nobody wants to pay a price. Nobody, everybody wants things handed to them. Everybody wants uh, just a nice, easy path, entitlement, all these things. And we have to realize in the kingdom, in the kingdom, you have to realize that there is a price to be paid, to, that Jesus paid the, the ultimate price of sin. But in order for us to break an atmosphere, to break a culture of its pride and break all these different things going on. It's going to take a group of hungry people that say, I'm not stopping until I see the power of God manifest in all these arenas. And I'm going to go after it. And this is why prayer is so important. I highly encourage you. My wife and I have been more convicted so than ever. I know that sometimes on a weekday, it's hard to get over here early, but 6 to 6.30 every week, we are, if, even if it's just my wife and I, we are going to bathe this carpet in tears over this community, over these regions, because we can't expect God to move in, in, in a profound way if we don't cry out for his love and his mercy and show him that we want to steward his move and his glory. And I'll Amen to that. Do you see what I'm saying? So I say all that because you need to start preparing. And you can't prepare based off what you see, because if you prepare based off what you see, you won't prepare. Do you understand? That that's why Jesus over and over again had to tell them what is to come. And you know, we find out, Paul even said that in the, in the, in the end days, 
brother will hate the brother. There will be rumors of war. There will be all, do we hear all this stuff all the time? Like it's, 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 it's actually just so profoundly on point that it just seems like why wouldn't the church be super urgent like, why is the urgency in 2020 should have made us even more urgent, but instead people are just kind of moseying back to whatever they had and just kind of accepting what the world has just plagued them with. No! We have to rise up and say that we are on God's agenda. We are on God's timing, and we need to prepare. And this is why it's not just about a feel-good message. It's about me waking everybody up because this is what the Lord is doing in my, my own personal time. I'm like, Lord, I want to feel butterflies. And he's like, prepare, son. Prepare, son. Get ready for what is to come because we want to be positioned right in the middle of it. How many people want to be on the front lines of what God's about to do? I want to be on the front lines. I want to see the Red Sea part. I don't want a, I don't want a back row sea to see the Red Sea part. I don't want to be in another room when somebody's getting raised from the grave. I don't want to be on the outskirts of what God is doing. I want to be right in the middle, but to be right in the middle, you got to be willing to get in the fire. So, right before we read Acts chapter 20, Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman, the watchman stays awake in vain. What a story, what a testimony when we read this that how many people have tried to build things before and had to start all over because you just, you see, I want to test, I want to tell you, save you some time. If you start anything without God, you'll always have to start again. If you start anything without God, you always have to start again. Do you know one of the most profound verses in the Bible? Try Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. You ain't starting anything without him. It, it's in the beginning is God, and what we all do is we start things, and then we ask the Lord to bless it after we've started something instead of seeking him first before we even go after it, and we got to watch that because once again, I was saying during prayer, we have a bunch of Ishmaels running around, and the Lord will even bless Ishmael, but the thing is, is that Isaac is where the covenant is. Isaac is where the relationship is. And even last night, I had the privilege of uh, fellowshipping with another pastor, uh, Pastor Geo down in uh, Lithia. And it was so awesome just fellowshipping and hearing the same language, hearing what God is doing. He's raising up a body of people that just want him, that just want to worship him. I love one of the things he said. He reminded me last night. He said, how do you tell if a church service was successful? Did he come? Did he come? What do I mean? Did God come? Was God blessed by our praise? Was God adorned? Was he loved or was a good service just how many people showed up? Because remember, Jesus had 5,000 people and that was just the men. He had 15,000 people show up to one of his services. And you know what Jesus does? He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all peaced out because he wanted to see who was there for him and who was there for a handout. And how many people make their decision on where they go to church just based off climate control? Based off if people gave them a hug or not. 
Not saying that stuff's not, you know, valuable or whatever, but in eternity, you have to make up your mind that I want to run with a crew that doesn't know how to say no to Jesus. I want to run with a group of people that just have a perpetual yes to go crazy and to go after things. You want to be running with that bunch of people. You know what I'm saying? So we don't want to build anything that is not the Lord because we, we build it in vain. It's all a laborless or a, a labored activity that is not fruitful. Now, in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7, we're going to just hang here. But I want to pray one more time before we read this passage because I'm just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit as always. I just, I really sense that this word is actually going to save someone's life literally. I really believe that there could be somebody in the room that's even dealing with really being on the fence about moving forward, pressing forward in some arena. And I want to be, I just want you to know that the Lord's reading your mail and that tonight when we share this word and we bring it forth, that there is going to have to be a definitive decision in your heart. And I want to pray right now because he's such a good father. You do not want to ever check out when he is right here ready to save, deliver, and help you. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you in the precious name of Jesus for the reading of the word tonight. Father, I am not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the true teacher. I thank you that you would anoint my lips and that my tongue would be the pen of a ready writer, ready to write on the tablets of hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you that tonight you are the healer. We thank you tonight that you are the provider. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are our garment of praise, that Lord, that you are the lion of Judah. You are the perfect lamb. Lord, you are the God that was that is there. You are the God that is omnipresent. You are the alpha and the omega. You are all the above. And you are the God that claims to be love. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said amen. As, as I was praying, it was just reminded that my wife, when she was praying before service, this is why it's so important to really pray and engage because the Lord will drop like a word in your heart or he'll drop a name in your heart. Has that ever happened to you that you're just praying and you'll just hear somebody's name? You know, you need to text them right away. You need to call them right away because the Holy Spirit wants to speak. You got to be conscious of those things. And right before service, my wife heard all the names of God just going through her heart. And then Matt, when he was leading worship, he felt led of the Lord. You heard him say, I'm going off script. And he started singing about all the names of God, which goes to show that God wants to reveal himself in a greater way to you tonight. That's what that is. Because the reason, the reason God has so many names is, is not to confuse people. The reason he has so many names is because he wants you to intimately experience him in every area of your life. He wants you to experience him as the provider he wants you to experience him as healer so you don't fall for a lesser lover in any sphere of life. He wants to be the banner for every area of your life. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? So in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says this, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. All right. So 
nobody be complaining if I go, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this is Paul the apostle here. It says the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Do you know how important it is for us to break bread with one another? There's people in this room that I, I believe that relationships grow so much over a table with food. Did you know, I, I know that this seems practical, but this is why relationships, friendships grow, is when you break bread with one another and you share your heart and you share about what's going on. And did you know what happens in this world that we're living in is because people with their phones and things like that, that people have lost what it means to truly be social because we have fallen for a lesser social, social media that People don't know how to just have a decent conversation. They don't know how to open up because they actually don't know how to open up because they only know how to show themselves in a good picture. They don't know how to actually talk to people because they're all on here. But what we see is that the breaking of bread was initiated by who? Jesus. That Jesus, when he had the Last Supper, before he's about to go to the cross, he said, every time you break bread, you do it in remembrance of me because he wants us to know that when you eat, that you don't eat alone, that we fellowship with him, that we break bread. And yes, it's his body, it's communion, but it's over a table that we find out what's really going on in people's lives. And in today's culture, people, families can't even eat dinner together because everybody's got this going on, going this. But it's when you sit down and you look each other in the eyes and you find out what's really going on and say, you know what? We need to pray about that. We need to seek the Lord about what's going on in your heart. And this is why people run away from the church because they feel like nobody can relate to them, nobody this, but they won't just open up. We got to let people know. Am I preaching anybody? I just need, you got to be there for people. You got to love people. If you don't see somebody for a little while, you got to reach out because you don't know how a text or a call could change somebody's life. Amen. I know that's practical, but sometimes you're not doing the practical, so you're not experiencing the supernatural. Doing the practical. And breaking bread. And then Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So why is he pouring his heart out until midnight? Why is he taking so long? Do you know why? Because he's about to depart. Remember when Jesus is at the Last Supper? You know what he chose to talk about? We find out in the book of John at the Last Supper, he talked about the Holy Spirit for three whole chapters in the Bible. We find out that Jesus kept telling about the Holy Spirit because he knew he was about to what? depart. So when you're about to depart, you want to lay it on people. You want to get out as much as you possibly can. This is why when I minister, I want you all to know that I pray all throughout the week before I, I prepare to speak. And I say, Lord, allow me to preach like it's the last time. Allow me to minister like it's the last time because I don't know who's going to be sitting there. I don't know who is, 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 is going to be lost for eternity if I don't represent you right, if I don't get up here and share who you are. That's why I have to give an altar call every time. Churches that aren't giving an altar call in this hour, what are you doing? You need to let people know about Jesus. Give them to introduce them to him. They need to know that there is a hope and an answer and it's not, oh, well, they'll get it later. No, we need to let people know. You got to draw the line in the sand because the enemy is a roaring lion coming after souls, coming after people. But we serve the lion of Judah and we need to start taking on that, that, that toothless lion, the enemy enemy and start showing him that we know how to roar the gospel. 
And we have to. And this is why Paul, he's preaching until midnight because he knows he's not going to see these people again. And he wants them to hear what Jesus did for him and what he can do for them. And he wants to impart something of value. I want you, the reason I bring this up is when you encounter people throughout the day, really consider that. If this is the last time I'm going to be able to see this person, what could I do to make a lasting impression? How can I make Jesus known? How can I have, make an eternal impact? At the end of the day, the way that I repent every day is I, I, at the end of the day, I say, did I make, did I make an impact today? Did I make an eternal impact? Did I do something today to make an impact? And if you can't say that, you have to ask yourself, did I, did I find Jesus more today or did I just fall more in love with myself? Did I just get caught up in my own thing or did I find a way to represent him better? And I know that this is coming out strong tonight, but I just know that the Lord is doing something. I hope that this is helping somebody because I want to be real as possible in this hour. And so he preaches until midnight, which is very prophetic of what? It's prophetic of the fact that what does Jesus say? He says that no one knows the time or the hour and that he comes like a thief in the what? Do you know what? Why would he say he comes like a thief in the night? Because he's saying so many people aren't going to be prepared. They're not going to be prepared. They're going to just be going about their life, going about these things and just getting caught up in the affairs of life. And it says he's just going to come. And this is why we have to know him so well. We have to know him. That's why when we worship, we're worshiping him to become more acquainted with his presence because as he draws closer, we're going to feel it. Do you see that? That his return, we're going to actually sense it because we're so close to him. We're going to sense that it's going to happen any moment. And I don't know about you, I'm getting the inklings more and more that something is about to break more and more. So in verse 8, it says there were many lamps. Everyone say many lamps. In the upper room where they were gathered together. I want to take a moment here and camp. Ah, Lord. Many lamps. You know what's so significant about lamps is we're going to go there in a moment, but Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, one of his last parables, he talked about the, the wise and the foolish virgins and preparing for the bridegroom, and we're going to go there in a moment. But you know what's so powerful about many lamps being lit? Remember how just a little earlier we brought an offering to the Lord, do you know the fact that all these lamps are people's, it's their own personal lamps, and they are using their personal oil, they're using all of their resources to make sure that there's enough light for their family and all their friends to continue hear the preaching of the word. Uh, you got to catch this, that what is happening is they are all sowing with all their own resources and they're saying, we will do whatever it takes to keep light in this room so we can continue to hear the preaching of the word, so we can continue to allow the ministering to take place. This is prophetic for all of us to know that we all need to bring our resources, our gifts and talents to the table and say, Lord, whatever it takes before midnight strikes, before Jesus comes back, that all that I have, I'm going to pour it out 
out to make sure that everybody in my family, everybody in my sphere of influence hears this gospel. I will keep the light burning. I will be there. I will be a part of the solution. Amen? Do you hear me tonight that say, I'm going to bring my lamp I'm going to bring my lamp. I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to allow it. But this is, the th- if we go to Matthew chapter 25, we're just going to pivot there real quick. Um, Matthew 25 says this. It says it in verse 1. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Okay? Now my question is, well, what? dictates what is wise and foolish. Well, we're about to find out. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. So what is the difference between wise and foolish? Preparation. Wisdom can be summed up in one word, preparation. That preparation is all based off how persuaded you are. If you're persuaded something is going to happen, you will prepare for it. Amen? If we are persuaded that Jesus has done what he has done and that he is coming back, it should change everything about everything about our life and about our priorities. Amen? It just should. And it's a daily process. It's a daily consecration and renewing. But what we see here is that what was it that we are getting asked to do. Is anybody simple like me? I, I like things to be simple. If it's complicated, you know, I don't even want any part of it. It's like just too much, don't want it. And when it comes to simple, what was the thing that they needed to be wise? Oil. That was all they needed. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't like they had 10 things to do. They just needed oil. And not just oil, but extra oil. Now, this is where you need to follow me because oil is represented as a a symbolic form of the anointing, okay? Now, the anointing is flows from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament, and the priest, king, and the prophet, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them, but in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelled and remained upon Jesus, and when he went to the grave and resurrected, the Holy Spirit now comes to dwell in the believer. Are you thankful for that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Now, the anointing and the oil that Jesus is talking about is that he's talking about the oil that is produced in the secret place. Now, the secret place is the moments between you and the Lord. Nobody else can manufacture those moments for you. That you can come to church and you can get uh, fired up, you can get encouraged, you can get corrected and rebuked, but what you do after here, I can't walk your hand through every step in life. You have to come to a place where you say, God, I don't want to go back to any way I used to. I don't want to fall victim to what the world is trying to say, that I am going to change things in my life. And that means if I have to get on my face more before you to hear what you have to say for my family, and you, you, you start paying a personal price. Because I want you, as we keep reading this passage, it says, They were all sleeping, and at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So when did it happen? At what time? 
Midnight, you see that word again. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Have you ever been in a place where you were not prepared and you started asking, I'm sure we all remember in high school or like you weren't prepared for a test and you're asking your buddy or your neighbor, hey, could you give me the answers, please? And you know, because you were not prepared. So you ask in a pinch, you ask for help, you're asking, but then it says the foolish, and then in verse nine, but the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. So what is the moral of this story? That oil cannot be just given to you from somebody else. Nobody else can give you their personal relationship with God. One day you stand before him, you alone. You won't stand before God and say, well, my daddy was a Christian. Or you won't be able to stand before God and say, my cousins went to church. No, it's going to be you and God. And it's either he knew you or he didn't. That's a sobering reality to stand before God and for him to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a rea- Jesus said that. That there will be many that perform signs and wonders, but they will stand before me and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you because there's something about you getting alone with God that produces an oil. And this is what I'm telling you about preparing. You want four ways to prepare. These are four ways to prepare real quick. Everybody say this out loud. Read your Bible every day. I, I know that this is like just so simple, but I'm, I'm, I want you to understand you, you read the Bible as a love letter and as the manual to your life. You don't read it as a textbook. You don't read it as a chore. You read it as open the word and say, God, speak to me and just begin to read. He's the author. He knows how to communicate it to you. Don't allow your mind to dictate your reading. Allow your heart to just be fed. Open your heart and just, so that's number one. Number two, everyone say, pray Pray. every day day. and often. And what I mean by that is find ways to include God in every conversation in the day. That you're driving, if you're driving alone, talk to God about the sky. Talk to God like, God, what a beautiful, like, I'm serious. You have to make him real to you. And the Bible says, acknowledge him in all your ways. And what? He will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 6. So if you're not acknowledging him, he's not directing you. So who's directing you if you're not acknowledging him? That's why you have to pray. You have to read. And then thirdly, repent every day. Everyone say that. Repent every day. Every day you should be able, the Holy Spirit should pinpoint. I I used to say this to myself. If the sun rises and sets and I've made zero adjustments in my life, I'm ignoring the Holy Spirit. If the sun rises and sets and I've made zero adjustments in my life, I'm ignoring the Holy Spirit. Because there's no way any of you in here are just got 100 marks and you're just perfectly walking around like Jesus. If you are, please, you're laying hands on everybody tonight. That would be amazing. But the thing, what we have to understand is every day needs to be a day of, because repentance a lot of times we think is this just crying and boohooing and and and, but actually repentance is literally changing the way you think. It's like you read something in the word of God and you're like, you know what? I'm not really doing a good job of that. Holy Spirit, can you help me in that? 
forgive me for, for the steps that I've made that haven't been right in that. You see what I'm saying? You have honest prayer and conversation with God. And then the four things. So number one, read every day. Number two, pray every day. Number three, repent every day. And then number four is fellowship. Fellowship. You know what Hebrews 10.25 says? It says that as the day approaches of his return, we should even gather even more. Isn't it just so convenient that the enemy has tried to make sure we can't gather at all? Do you think that that's just coincidence? Do you just think, oh, no, it's just, it's, it's, it's just to stop, it's just to help the curve. It's just, you know, it's just all, whatever type of language they can come up with to just make everything seem like we're not where we need to be. And I'm not trying to get political about things. What I'm trying to say is you have to keep your eyes on Jesus because the world has an agenda. The enemy has the world on puppet strings. Do you understand that? That the world is the enemy's puppet. Media is the enemy's pulpit. And we have to hear from the Lord. Amen. For your family, do you, do you understand that when they gathered together in upper rooms, how many people did Jesus need to change the world? He, it was 120 people. It wasn't a mega church. Do you know they started out with 500 people? We find about in 1 Corinthians, they started out with 500 people in, a, in that upper room, and somehow we find out that 380 just kind of like, hey, I'm just going to go check out a movie. It doesn't seem like this is working out. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many people don't wait? They don't stay long enough. Moments away from seeing a massive breakthrough, but just the enemy just knows how to lure people away. Say, not me. Not me. I'm going to stay engaged. So, so I just love that story because it shows about the, the understanding of prepping. But as we go back to Acts chapter 20, are you guys with me? Just a few. I want... Hope you're hearing my heart tonight. I want so in verse nine, after we talk about the lamps, the preparation, we get to this story that's so peculiar, and it says, "In a window." Everyone say, "In a window." <laughs> this is a crazy resurrection story because it says that in a window sat a, a certain young man named Eutychus. And you know what's so funny? I, I'll just spoiler alert right now. Eutychus falls out this window and dies. Do you know what Eutychus means? fortunate. <laughs> and Paul raises him from the dead, so his butt was fortunate. But it's just funny that, to just hear that. But when we read this story, it says, in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, this story is profound. And it's only five verses, so just hang with me. He's sitting in a window. You know, what this, what, what this speaks to me, in modern vernacular, we could, call it, we could compare the window seat to being on the fence. You Follow me for a minute. That the windows are the farthest thing away from the center. That to be in a window seat would mean you made a conscious decision that I'm here, but I'm just going to kind of hang in the back, or I'm just going to kind of hang around. There's too many Christians. There's too many people that want the window seat. And the problem with the window seat is the reason they want the window seat is because they want the world to see they're still on for sale. They want the world to know 
that they're still available if they got some cool things going on. That I, I want to be around the things of God, but I want the world to know that I'm still available. Being in the window when God is speaking, we're talking the Apostle Paul is preaching about Jesus. Would we all agree? How many people would fall asleep during the Apostle Paul ministering? Would anybody here in their right mind, if, the, if, I, if I told you next week the Apostle Paul was going to come here and minister to us, would, we would see everybody would be on the floor. They wouldn't even sit in a seat. We would just be like, talk to us. And he's hearing the Apostle Paul, but he's choosing to get a window seat that I, I just, there, it's a dangerous game to play that when you want to be around God, but you want to be just far enough away that you can still be entertained by the world. You know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever been there before that you, you kind of, you're feeling the conviction that you need to be more in? Did you know commitment? Did you know the language of commitment only has two words? Yes and no. The language of commitment only has two words. Yes and no. That it's, we, we talked about this at the men's group Sunday that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else is from the evil one. And one of the things we said Sunday is that if someone can't give you a yes or a no, all they can give you is an excuse. Yes or no is the language of commitment. And we, we see that the window person in this story, he's sitting in the window and it says that he's falling asleep. Why? It's because he's not engaged. He's sitting back. He's not being fully committed to what is going on in the room and what God is saying. And I want to Take a quick moment to just bring up some people in the Bible that we love and see. Mary. Mary and Martha. What did Mary do when Jesus spoke? Just sat at his feet. You wouldn't catch Mary sitting in a window when Jesus was speaking. John, the beloved, you wouldn't catch him sitting at the end of the table. No, I got to sit on his, I got to be, he, John literally laid on Jesus. He's like, Jesus is my seat. <laughs> you see, certain people, they're so sold out that they refuse to be disengaged. They have to be full in. Does anybody here say that that's me? I want to be full in. You see, that, that I've met people over the years that they'll even say, I'm just an all or nothing person. I say then why aren't you all in? I hear people say that all the time because that's kind of like a, a cool thing to say. I'm an all or nothing person. No, you're not. I see your life. You're in this. You're in that. You're in that. You're not all or nothing. All or nothing means I've, draw a line, I've drew, drew a line in the sand and that Jesus is everything. I'm here for him. Amen. The window seat is a dangerous place to be. And in the window, it says he fell asleep because when you are disengaged, you know what happens? You have to fight on your own strength to stay awake. Because when you're engaged, he fully awakes you. 
you're fully awakened in his presence. But when you are on the outskirts, you actually have to use your own strength to stay awake. Has anybody in this room ever been in a place in their walk with God where it felt like everything they were doing was on their own strength? It felt like the only, it was like you hadn't, it was like you hadn't felt the presence of God in a while. You haven't sensed something and it's like everything was in your own strength. I'm here to tell you tonight that something happens when you learn to say no to the things that are not important, and you get engaged. You, you, you find a way to be as committed as possible. Amen? So with this, with the window seat, this, this gentleman, it says that the window, he sat in Eutychus. He was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story. This is, this is crazy to me. Could you imagine that we're in a service and somebody just falls out a window and dies in the middle? And, and, and you know, what? the other thing I want you to see, that Paul is such a great leader, right? Wouldn't you say that, like, I bet in our today's culture, people would have said, you know why he died, Paul? It's because you went too long. You know, next time you do a service, it should only be 45 minutes. People are dying because of the way you just take your time and you just think that, you know, we have to think about the people. We have to think about what's going on, Paul. You're not conscious to anything but Jesus. You know why? Because people always want to blame problems on everything but their own choices. And so many people are like, I just don't like going to church because I've been heard too many times. I've seen too many hypocrites. Well, is Jesus a hypocrite? Do you know what? Jesus had 12 disciples. Did you know, would we all think that Jesus is the perfect pastor? Would you all say Jesus is the perfect leader? Did you know Judas didn't make it? Was that Jesus' fault? How many times people blame different people when even having a perfect leader, somebody can still miss it. People want to blame, and, I, and I'm not here to condone mistakes that people have made, but I am here to say that you have to stand before God, and you're not going to be able to say, God, I didn't know you because I let this person's mistake dictate my life. I, that's not going to fly. You have a relationship with God. Don't let other people's errors become your idol. You're allowing other people's mistakes to actually dictate your life. When God is asking for intimacy with you. And then in verse 10, it says, But Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Isn't this amazing? That Paul sees little Eutychus, Oh, he took the window seat because he's a backslider, and he falls out. But you know what's so symbolic? We find in a lot of the resurrections that they would actually lay on whoever was dead. And the Lord spoke this to my heart, and I just heard this so clearly. He said, there's no greater love than one that lays down his life for his friends. And the reason they would lay down to bring resurrection is because when you lay your life down for those around you, you cause resurrection power to happen. So when Paul laid his life down on this man, 
resurrection power. This is why we go ministering and witnessing and hitting the streets because we're, we're laying our life down in the middle of dead situations and dead things going on. And we say, I know I could be doing a lot of things today, but I chose to be with my brothers and sisters and go tell people about Jesus laying my life down. When you lay your life down, resurrection power. There is no, there is no sacrifice that God does not honor when you are doing it for revealing his kingdom. Amen. So you have that. And then verse 11, it says, Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. So what does he do? He preaches till midnight, and then he resurrects Eutychus and goes back up and starts preaching again. He just keeps preaching. But wh why would he do that? Well, let's keep reading. It says, and they brought the young man alive, and they were not a little comforted. It's, it's amazing that the reason Paul got back up and started preaching, he didn't even allow this amazing miracle to change what needed to be done. Did you know that, and I, you got to hear me, that sometimes we get so caught up in something spectacular happening that we forget to keep doing what God's told us to do. Oh, look at that. Look, look what's going on over there. Or let's, let's go over there and let's all be a part of this now. But Paul, even after seeing a resurrection, he knew that the word still needed to be preached. He knew that fellowship still needed to happen because he knew that that's the reason they were positioned for a resurrection. It was because of the preaching of the word. This is why you can never undervalue and you can never come to a, a true understanding of how important it is that you sit under hearing the word of God. People ask me what I listen to a lot. I like listening to the Bible on audio. I like, I want his word so in me because I want to prepare. And people are like, you're just being over spiritual. You're just being, I just know what he's done for me. I'm not pushing my convictions on other people. I'm just saying that I want to be as positioned as possible for what he wants to do and where he's coming. And the window seat is such a dangerous place to be. And there's so, is this story ministering to people tonight that you got to stop playing on the outskirts, God is calling you in. And isn't it, it's his mercy and grace that rose Eutychus from the grave. And there may be people here tonight that feel like you are Eutychus, or you might be watching online and you feel like you are Eutychus, that you've been too far, but isn't it amazing that God will even send somebody in your life to resurrect the dead convictions and bring them back to life? Because that's what you need. We need conviction of the Holy Spirit. 